Welcome to the Academy Podcast, a podcast dedicated to sharing rich content for the purpose of spiritual growth. I'm your host, Claire McKeever Burgett, and I serve as the Associate Director of the Academy for Spiritual Formation, an international ministry of the Upper Room. The Academy creates transformative space for people to connect with God, self, others, and creation for the sake of the world. Today, we're joined by Reverend M. Barclay, who is the co-founder and executive director of Enfleshed, a nonprofit creating and facilitating resources of spiritual nourishment for collective liberation. M. is passionate about bringing fresh and relevant perspectives to the questions, traditions, and theologies that have sustained faith communities for centuries. They have extensive experience in writing, preaching, and teaching on Christianity, and its relationship to queer and trans lives, feminism, white anti-racism, and other pressing matters of justice. Born and raised in the Deep South, M comes from a fundamentalist faith background and has spent much of their adult life unlearning both toxic theologies and social norms. Liberation theologies have been a key component in leading them to a more rich, loving, and meaningful relationship to God, self, and neighboring creatures and creations, inviting others to deepen into the spiritual and freeing work of trading in modern Christianity's greatest lies about God for a faith that sets captives free is one of their greatest joys. M is a leader with the UM Forward Collective and formerly served as Director of Communications with Reconciling Ministries Network. They have also enjoyed working as a hospital chaplain, youth director, justice associate, and faith coordinator for reproductive justice in Texas. Im is proud to be a 2018 to 2020 culture of health leader with the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. They delight in queer community, finding the nearest hike while traveling, reading theologies, and working with stained glass. A few notes that might help as you listen to our conversation today. First, M uses the term cisset people in our conversation, and for those unfamiliar with this term, it refers to people who identify as both heterosexual and cisgender. Cisgender refers to people whose gender identity matches their sex assigned at birth. So cisset people, this is C-I-S-H-E-T, identify as the gender they were assigned at birth and are attracted to people of the opposite gender. To learn more, visit Human Rights Campaign Resources page at hrc.org backslash resources. Second, at one point in our conversation, I bring up the important work of the writer Octavia Butler and mention her novels Parable of the Sower and Parable of the Talents. However, in the moment I brought these up, I said I would clarify the titles of these novels for our listeners, which is what I'm doing here. Parable of the Sower and Parable of the Talents by Octavia E. Butler are known as the Earth Seed series. They were written in the 1990s about the collapse of 21st century America due to poor environmental stewardship, corporate greed, and the growing gap between the rich and the poor. Finally, I hope you'll read more about the harmful practices of spiritual bypassing and gaslighting, both mentioned toward the end of our conversation. 
Understanding both of these have helped in my own emotional, spiritual, and physical growth as a human, and I am grateful. You can Google these two terms and find all the information and more that you need. Talking with M was a real gift of continued learning for me on expanding language, listening carefully, working intently and loving fully. Listen well, beloveds, and please check out the work M co-leads by visiting enfleshed.com. Well, welcome M to the Academy podcast. We're so glad that you're with us today and just going to spend some time uh, getting to know you and thank you so much for that. So I always like to start by asking folks uh, what and who they come from. So tell us about that, um, sort of the spiritual geography, maybe of your faith, uh, what it looks like, smells like, who's there? Yeah, um, I love that you asked that question in such a, such a sensory kind of way, um, because it immediately brings to mind for me uh, the smell of salty beach air and the feeling of sand on my toes and sun on my skin. Um, I lived in Pensacola, Florida, just off the border of Southern Alabama for the first 22 years of my life. Uh, and so the stunning beaches of the Gulf of Mexico um, are just such a central uh, piece of what I understand as my home. Um, and they were so good to me uh, over so many years when things were hard. Um, and I was asked about a year ago, what has been consistent about my faith over the years? Um, and as someone who has changed so much <laughs> in so many different ways over the last 12 or so years, uh, I found it really difficult to sort of come up with a thread. Um, and then it, it kind of like struck me um, that the land and the water and the beauty of the earth and the companionship of creatures um, have been there all along for me. Uh, when so little else has been consistent in my life, I've been sort of held by the care of the world. Um, and I, I don't mean to like romanticize the concept of nature because it's certainly not all peaceful and restorative. Mm. Um, but I was just so acutely aware of how much life and love has been extended to me through some of the most like underappreciated sources surrounding me. Um, and so I think when it comes to my faith, that really rings true for me and theological, spiritual, and relational realities. I am who I am because I have been loved well through hard things, and I have been companioned well through many beautiful things. Um, and that kind of sustaining is so central to my understanding of God and how God works through the world around us. Um, always channeling us towards collective life, uh, even when we aren't consciously aware of it at all. Um, Dorothy Sowell uh, talks about where, wherever there is solidarity, there is res resurrection. Uh, and I have been in the position of benefiting from the solidarity of so many other forms of life. Uh, and I now recognize in my faith the call to reciprocity and mutuality in uh, those acts of solidarity, both with the earth um, and then also human kin um, and everyone striving for life and liberation. 
Um, it's been a really long faith journey of learning and unlearning what I needed to in order to sort of come to any of that. Uh, but it, um, but yeah, it's, I learned so much by looking back, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, about yeah. how I want to live going forward. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I saw a um, post on Instagram recently that said, what do you wish you had learned as a child mm-hmm. that you could you know, share with your children now. And that gave me some pause. I thought, whew, you know, my initial thought was like, well, the list is really, really long. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know if I can, but then, yeah, I'm just kind of, uh, it's that question has hung with me. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious, you you use the phrase um, unlearn and I'm curious um, what, what have you, what are some things that you have unlearned? Um, maybe even just recently. Hmm. Hmm. Um, I think one of the things um, that has really shaped my thinking and being over the last year or two in terms of unlearning is uh, related to practices of justice and liberation and what those look like. Um, I think I, inherited like so many people inherited sort of approaches to justice work that are very self-denial-ish right that are very like determination which of course is a part of it um uh will you know just this very like fight 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 and that is absolutely a part of it but i have had to unlearn that as like the only part of it Mm -hmm. um and instead have been trying to learn um practices of transformation that are um, that are practices of justice internally towards the self and towards um, one another that are practices of life and joy um, and not just sort of trading in forces of will or determination with each other if that makes sense at all yeah yeah of course Right now, Audre Lorde's uh, quote, you can't, you know, um, rebuild, I think, the master's house using the master's tools. That's right. Right. So sort of the, and then of course, the essay on that is, is um, a must read. But that's kind of what that makes me think of is um, if we're coming at this work of transformation and justice uh, with the same tools that we've always had, then we might yeah. find ourselves in the same burnout places that we've always found ourselves. And so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's so much, um, there's so much, you know, patriarchy obviously built into um, everything, but uh, learning how to, Oh, there's a uh, Andrea Gibson poet, Andrea Gibson uh, mm-hmm. recently released a poem that said something about like, uh, I know so many people who had wished um, something about like I had knew so many people had wished uh, that they had tried harder to do good and they should have tried softer or something. It was said way better than that. Uh, but I just, but it's that kind of like, yeah, I think it's not about letting go of the fierceness and the determination, but the how we live that out is, yeah, is not patriarchy's approach isn't the answer and what that mm. looks like instead is yeah. Um, different. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, being really gentle and soft with ourselves, yeah, can be a, a beautiful gift. Yeah. 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 So I've shared, of course, your more official bio uh, in our introduction, but I'd love to hear from you maybe something we wouldn't uh, find out about you on paper or on a mm. website. I mean, it's not interesting. Like, I I don't know what the interesting answer to that is, but I am so introverted. I feel like Mm -hmm. the last 10 years of my life have been this very sort of public experience um, that I I just didn't imagine um, for myself. And like, I, I am somebody who is just, I'd rather not be in the spotlight in any way. (laughs) You know, I'd rather kind of hang in the corner. Um, I have, I have anxiety. I have social anxiety. You know, Mm -hmm. there's not a lot of space for that, those parts of me to really come out um, in the work that I do. But uh, that's part of how this like public work goes, right? These like introverted pieces of ourselves or contemplative um, or, struggles you know are usually not uh there's not room for them in in the public Mm -hmm. spaces so I think Mm -hmm. that's one of the first thing that uh comes to mind because I think it's it's um what I feel like people don't often expect from me when when they encounter me yeah yeah because like reading the things you write or you know sort of following along uh yeah with your your public presence that you offer, which we'll talk more about that, um, wouldn't necessarily be the first thing that, that I would guess either. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I feel that with you because I also understand myself and identify as an introvert and yet often, you know, hold space and speak and preach and mm-hmm, do lots mm-hmm. of public things, um, mm-hmm. which there's a, there's a large part of me that, that likes that. Yeah. And there's the huge part of me that is really exhausted by it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So that's how, you know, so that's how I know like, okay, yeah, there's some, there, I'm an introvert, you know, that, mm-hmm. is, that is who I am. So, yeah. Yeah. So how do you take care uh, of yourself given that you are this public presence and doing a lot of kind of outward work? What does it look mm-hmm. like to take care of yourself in those spaces? Um, definitely ensuring that I give myself breaks and space between, um, between engagements, uh, that are taxing, um, even if I love them. Yeah. Uh, for me, probably no surprise given other things I've talked about, like hiking and just being outside, going on walks in beautiful places is probably one of the most restorative, uh, experiences that I regularly have. Um, it's only been in the last few years that I've really uh, been drawn to poetry as a very consistent source of like spiritual and emotional nourishment. Um, but um, out of all the things that stuck with me in seminary, which was over 10 years ago now, uh, the words from Annie Dillard that said, uh, the, that she spoke about or she wrote about the way that theologians quote, just keep using the same hard words. Um, and I remember not understanding what that meant, um, uh, but feeling very drawn towards it. And it's really stuck with me. And I think the truth behind that has manifested in my own life. And I like, I want poetry, you know, my soul needs 
needs these beautiful words that speak truth, um, whether that's hard truth or easy truth or, you know, whatever. It's just, it fills me up. Yeah. And whether we understand that truth, right? Yeah. 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 That's right. That's beautiful. So I'd love for you to talk with us a little bit about your name. Um, (laughs) So you go by N, the the letter N, and um, how you came to have that name and how that (laughs) connects with your identity, how you understand yourself in the world. And then what is the connection between naming and identity? And what is that connection with God? Mm-hmm. Oh, those are such good questions. Um, <laughs> I wish I had a better story for it. Honestly, I don't have a good story. Um, it is, there's a lesson in the story, but it's not like, um, <laughs> Well, anyway, um, so when I, so I came out as queer, so I'm bi and sexual orientation, um, probably over 10 years ago now, uh, and it took me, I don't know, five or six more years to then uh, also learn that I am non-binary trans, and it was so difficult so difficult, felt so impossible to accept that. Um, Especially, I mean, we still have so far to go, obviously, but when I was trying, when I was struggling with coming out as non-binary, nobody in my life knew what that meant. You know, it was hardly being talked about in any way. And so long story short, it just felt impossible, Um, but it also was just true. And so um, as I struggled to confront that truth, my prior name didn't fit, uh, but I just wasn't ready to pick a name or to commit that way. You know, I just wasn't there mm-hmm. yet. And so in that sort of middle space, I had a friend say like, well, what if we just call you M? And at the time it felt like a perfect, like sort of stopgap solution, you know? Um, but then I got a new job and they needed a name and I didn't really have mm. time to like figure it out. And the next thing I knew it was my email address, <laughs> you know, and, and then like time just kept happening. And um, there, like the, it just was my name and <laughs> it's stuck. Yeah. It, it stuck. And, and it's been such an interesting journey because I'm, um, again, like the parts of me that are so uncomfortable with like burdening anybody or like standing out in any way. I've, I've continued to have such a hard time with it because of course, like the fact that I have a single letter name draws so much attention, so many questions, a lot of conflict actually. I mean, people, it's, it's really interesting. Um, but I've had to sort of like claim it in this way like either I'm going to change it or I'm going to claim it and I knew it was I'm not going to change it um and so I've really had to like challenge myself to lean into the queerness of a strange name and to like really live into my beliefs about the value of queering things um when it feels really hard to do that uh and um so I think there's a lot of trans people, for instance, who have a really great unfolding with their new names, right? Like, this is finally the thing that, like, I'm being called who I am. And and that's so awesome. And I wish that for everybody. But my narrative has been very different where I've, like, had to have this 
confrontation in a good way um, with my name ongoingly uh, to really struggle with the lingering parts within myself that feel a deep need to fit in. Um, And so it's this kind of ongoing call that I um, sort of have to choose to live into every day to accept my own name. (laughs) You know, it's, it's really interesting. And, you know, there's so many forms and processes where like forms won't accept a single letter name. And, you know, there's just all these points of, of confrontation with normalcy um, that certainly is not confined to my name, as, uh, but it's very consistent, very regular. Um, and so I don't know, there's a lot there, right? When it comes to then thinking about names and God and each other and, um, who decides uh, what our names are in various ways and how much agency we do and don't have. And, you know, there's just so many questions there. Um, But I, I do, I think getting to participate in um, the language we use to communicate who we are uh, is so important um, and manifests in so many different ways. Um, last names, first names, identity labels, um, and they all have their significant limitations, right? Um, They all come with histories. They all come with um, connections to other people. They all come with just cultural impact on them already, right? And so, um, I don't know. I just, there's just, there's so much there. Say a little bit more about the value of queering things. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. 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 So um, one of my favorite ways to talk about queerness or queering is just simply that it means to strange something. Um, And so, uh, uh, yeah, the last two years or so, strangeness has been one of my sort of uh, spiritual sources of spiritual reflection. Um, uh, Jesus talks a lot about um, how we don't belong to the world, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And we'll be hated for it because we don't belong to it. And the world being the the structure of hierarchy, right? And so in whatever ways we are strange in relationship to the normalized places of dominance, we will be hated for that. And that is, you know, that is um, so synonymous with like why queer people have reclaimed that word queer, right? Mm -hmm. You know, being called strange as if that's something we should be ashamed of. Um, And then taking that back up and saying, you know what, yeah, we are different um, because of our sexual orientations and gender identities and politics. Um, and that's actually a really good thing. Um, there's a lot of wisdom and love and justice, um, born from, uh, the, the queer movements, obviously. Um, but just in the ways that all of us are strange and we're taught to, um, unstrange ourselves growing up, you know, it starts so young in so many different ways. Um, and I think that's one thing that, that says that people can learn from the experience of queer people, right? Is like getting in touch with their own strange, recognizing the ways that 
the world, meaning the hierarchies, um, the cosmos, uh, uh, sort of makes us choose between the strangeness in each other and ourselves or belonging in sources of dominance. And so our strangeness is a kind of beacon of hope, I think, for recollecting um, the parts of ourselves and each other uh, that don't serve dominance. Yeah. It's beautiful. I'm a parent to an almost five-year-old and a, um, I guess, 10-month-old now. And I'm, woo, it's quite the invitation to... (laughs) to pay attention uh, to how I love the way you phrase that, how, how we're taught to unstrange ourselves. And so it's for me as a, as a parent, it's an invitation to, to really be aware of how I can do that so easily with, with my children and sort of from my own upbringing and teaching of the ways that I was supposed to conform uh, to a, to a particular way. And so Um, yeah, it's beautiful. Thank you. We're pausing here for my conversation with M to try something new on the podcast, which is to let you know of other upper room offerings, books, and products that might be helpful to you in your spiritual life. So right now I want to share with you about the new book rally that Shane Claiborne says it's not your grandmother's prayer book, or if it is, he'd really like to meet your grandmother. Rally, a book of communal prayers for lovers of Jesus and justice, releases this month from Upper Room Books. Both a cry for action and a comfort for our anxious souls, Rally addresses justice through lament and celebration. The writings evoke hope and connection as we sift through devastating headlines, and they ask us to love without exception. Rachel G. Hackenberg, Oshita Moore, Michael T. McRae, and Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove, in addition to others, write reflections, each ending with call and response prayers. They call out issues like racial and gender inequality, economic disparity, white privilege, mistreatment of migrants and refugees, the marginalized, and many other concerns. Lord, stir us up to holy action, cries this powerful book. I invite you to let Rally spur you to compassionately continue the important work of loving God and neighbor until all of God's people are one. Visit the Upper Room Bookstore at bookstore.upperroom.org and order your copy of Rally today. Use code ACADEMY20. That's Academy Two Zero at checkout and receive 20% off your copy of Rally. And now back to my conversation with him. Thanks for staying with us. Well, tell us more about your work with Enfleshed, mm. uh, which is, of course, how I first uh, learned about you and, and your work. And so I want you to tell us about that. Tell us how it was born and, and mm. what what need, um, what desire was it responding to? Mm-hmm. Um, so the sort of beginning of it um, started uh, uh, when I was working at my prior job. Um, I, so my, my 
college degree was in communications. And so that's sort of like the other side of my professional life. Um, and I love the space where uh, communications, meaning getting to play with or getting to engage in very public narratives um, meets theology and spirituality. Like, I, I love that. Um, and there, I just um, felt the limitations of uh, being connected to any uh, sort of large institution, denomination structure that has uh, limitations on, um, on sort of how radical theology can be, right? And so I, um, I just wondered what it would look like to be able to just say what I actually believe and find other people who were also not spiritually satisfied or spiritually nourished by um, the what's available. Um, and so in sharing this wondering um, with Anna, Anna, Reverend Anna Bladel, who is the co-founder and also my beloved, um, before we were together, we sort of imagined it and just it was so fun to imagine what that could become. Um, and then when my time at my prior job ended and as a queer and non-binary trans person who works in Christian spaces, like there's just not a lot of work available for me. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, it was, I found myself with this, like, not only opportunity to take a risk, but kind of like a need to take a risk um, and do something I never imagined doing, which is launching an organization. It's not, it wasn't on my list of things to do in life. Mm -hmm. um, but with like the opportunity to work with Anna, who's such an incredible theological thinker and poet and committed activist to birth together the kinds of things that we were longing for, but were struggling to find anywhere, um, was a terrifying uh, <laughs> opportunity that we decided to lean into. Um, and so, yeah, you know, we just, we know that there are so many people that are just not um, the focus of many other Christian organizations or publications, right? They're, we all have our different focuses. And I just have always felt this, like, not always, in recent years, like, but who's thinking about this group? You know, this, this group that's wanting to focus on liberation theologies. And of course, like, there have always been people <laughs> doing that work and focusing on that work, but in a very particular, like offering spiritual nourishment. Um, uh, not that there was none of that work going on, but we definitely wanted to contribute to mm -hmm. that. Yeah. So you write liturgies, mm -hmm. right? And tell us how we can get connected, how we follow along. Sure. Yeah. So um, for those who are clergy uh, across denominations who are looking for um, liturgy and worship prep materials. So we do a, a, a sort of cosmological, structural and personal, interpersonal um, uh, exegesis on a text on the lectionary two weeks out um, to help people ground their sermons and what's going on in the world. Um, and um, collective liberation, uh, and then providing liturgies that sort of coincide with those thoughts for the week. Uh, yeah. Um, 
So yeah, so in flesh.com, so we have that subscription. Uh, we have a bunch of liturgies that we just, um, a liturgy library that we just regularly contribute to. Um, we have a bi-monthly column that we send out, Moments for Common Nourishment. If you go to our website, you can sign up to receive those. Um, and right now, it's not out yet, but I'm very excited to release it. We've been, uh, through the month of June, um, receiving art, visual art submissions from LGBTQIA people, uh, and we're going to put together a resource that's, um, we're calling the Vita Divina Project, the Divine Life Project, oh. uh, but it's based on the Lectio Divina, Visio Divina tradition. Um, instead of using scripture as a source of meditation, it will be these images, these beautiful art pieces that queer and trans people have made reflecting on uh, queer and trans lives and flesh as a divine encounter. Um, and so I'm really excited to release that um, as a, a source of spiritual nourishment. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to see that too. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. So what's it been like for your mind, body, and spirit in the midst of COVID and as we, I think, collectively have awakened or reawakened to the evils of white supremacy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I've, I've heard the language of we're navigating uh, two pandemics. Um, of course, we've been navigating the pandemic of white supremacy right. for whew, far, far too long. Um, but tell, yeah, so kind of personally, uh, how, is, how has this been for you, this, this mm. particular time and place in our culture, in our world? Um, and then how, how is it professionally? And how do mm. the two sort of talk with each other? Yeah. Mm. I mean, it's just, it's devastating, right? Um, I, I feel very fortunate that... Uh, as an introvert, you know, sheltering in place uh, is, I think, a lot easier on me than it is for many other people. Um, and as somebody who works from home, like, there's been so much that I am so privileged to not have disrupted. Um, and so I feel deeply grateful for that and deep grief and anger that that's not everybody's experience, right? That everybody doesn't get to um, have that low level of disruption. Um, I have felt such deep fear for certain beloveds in my life. Right now, my home county, the ICU is at max. You know, I just, it's, there's, yeah, I feel deep anticipatory grief, um, especially right now as we're watching the numbers rise again. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I'm so encouraged by the fact of these incredible uprisings taking place all over the country. Like that is so good and so important. Um, and I find that so hopeful. Uh, and so my own heart, my own mind is just in this, it's just both and constantly, right? Like, I'm so glad things are being unveiled to more and more people, things that have always been with us. Um, mm -hmm. But it's such an apocalyptic time, right? Like the things that have been kept hidden are being made more clear. Um, and that's 
good news, even if, even when that comes with terrible, terrible news of destruction. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I'm just left with such wonderings about what's ahead. Um, and my, I have so much fear that things are just going to go back to a kind of normalcy or a new normalcy. I think we're just collectively being ushered constantly to um, go back to, or just to accept whatever is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so hard to keep, um, to keep seeing where that's leading us. <laughs> um, and so like anytime there's disruption, I think that's, it's like a, an opening of possibility, but I, it's not a guarantee that we will collectively seize it, right? Yeah. And there are a lot of people showing up right now um, to Black liberation, uh, and I have significant concern that that <laughs> is going to fade, um, fade quickly, particularly from white people. Um, who either are so new that they, you know, don't have the tools to sustain that work um, or, you know, just the ways that white supremacy teaches us, like, not to be committed enough to keep sticking with the work. Um, So that's all. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us a little more about how you understand the work of anti-racism and how it, how you've been able to sustain that work in your own life? Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me as a white person, one of the most important sort of shifts um, was coming to recognize uh, the difference between narratives around race that are like, um, oh, racism uh, hurts black and brown and indigenous people in these ways and we should do something about it because it's bad, right? Uh, versus uh, white supremacy <laughs> is this force that has shaped our entire country, mm-hmm. has shaped our individual lives, our ability to flourish in very, very different ways to significantly different degrees. Like, but to come to understand the ways that very concretely the ways that white supremacy has shaped my own being and becoming um, and to experience the freedom that comes with unlearning some of those narratives uh, has helped me to recognize that like fighting white supremacy is life-giving work for all of us. It is, it, it nourishes me. It, um, it is an experience of, it is an encounter with love, right? With love and beloveds. And um, yeah, that shift just has meant everything, right? Like it's either a, a way of life where love leads from the inside, outside, relationally, everywhere versus a kind of like good, bad approach to something. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course it's bad, like no question, but what we do with, with those facts, mm-hmm. I think shapes everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the shift right from racism is somehow a problem for black people 
to the narrative as you're talking about that it's actually our problem as white people. And um, we've created it, we've sustained it. So like now it's ours to unearth, dismantle, tear down. Um, Yeah. 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 Um, And, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Well, just like we, the, I hear the like pointing to responsibility, right. And, and what you're saying, like we have, we we who are white um, have deep responsibility to address white supremacy. Um, But even like, as soon as we pick one word, right, like responsibility Mm -hmm. or, or whatever, it just flattens the truth of what this work is about and what it means to, to just be in relationship with each other in the middle of that work to, like, yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, I just, I think anytime narratives about any kind of justice, justice work are, are flat, it's gonna lead to burnout or. So how do we, so give us an example of how to make it not flat. Mm. Yeah, I think I'm, I am still learning so much about how to, um, what the language is instead. Um, Mm. There's, there's so much, obviously there's so much that I still have to learn as a white person in this work and will always be learning. Um, But I, but I think it has to do with, um, like my, my, uh, even something like responsibility, like it's, it's so flat for me if I'm just thinking about it as like just systems, right. Or just histories that I am responsible to because I'm a white person or just in a a moment, right. Uh, Mm -hmm. That we're collectively having to reckon with. but when I start thinking about responsibility, um, because I am also in relationship uh, with my friend Alicia, uh, and I have a very specific responsibility to her as somebody that I love, um, that brings a different dynamic than just thinking about, I have an obligation to fix, not fix, it's not even, <laughs> yeah, all the words, all the words right, are so right. and limited. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I- <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, I talk about how we're here, you know, not, I mean, the idea of perfect, the idea of even getting the the words just right is a tool of white supremacy. And and it keeps us, well, I'll say it for me, it often keeps me and has in the past from saying anything at all. Yeah. If I I fear like saying the wrong thing and thinking that there is this like perfect way to say it and all of this, then I end up just not saying anything and that yeah. ends up being more harmful. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm with you in this. I mean, we're, we're making our way um, yeah, yeah. and, and making our way can be a really liberative, beautiful thing. And yeah. I think sometimes as we know, like there's pain and, you know, the growing, the growing pains that come with that. Um, I'm also thinking about sort of uh, both Martin Luther King Jr. and uh, Lilla Watson have said similar things but about like, we're not free until everyone's free. Right. So sort of that idea of, right, like 
if we truly believe that we're connected and that um like i'm only as free as the person who's you know still um tied up then that i think shifts it a little bit um a lot actually for me in the ways that i show up in the in the work so yeah 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 and i think that's such a uh important example for so many reasons uh but it's also such a core example of um, the fact that our liberation being bound up with each other is um, is an example of a strange, right, a non-dominant mm. um, claim is a product of white supremacy. <laughs> like white supremacy has so shaped um, particularly white Western thinking uh, that we have been falsely led to believe that we are all just these autonomous individual beings, right? And that's the lie in the first place that we're having to unlearn. Um, And I feel like the dominant, uh, all of the dominant forces would much rather us believe that like the other way around, right? Um, And so, you know, so, so much of, the wisdom that's uh, coming from black and brown leaders and preachers and activists and writers is um, is is what can heal us from the lies that we are just immersed in because of white supremacy. Yeah, 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 yeah. all of us in different ways, but all of us. Yeah. 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 Who are you, who are the, the black and brown indigenous uh, folks that you are learning from and alongside? Yeah. Um, so Adrienne Marie Brown has been super, super, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, yeah, it big influence uh, the last two years in my life, her work, pleasure activism and emergent strategy. Uh, in the earlier part of the interview, when I was talking about the unlearning of like approaches to justice, like, oh, I was so needing that. And then um, her book felt like such a gift to receive at just the time I needed it. And I know so many other people are benefiting from her wisdom as well. Uh, and then once I like, read through everything I could find from Adrienne Marie Brown. Uh, uh, She was so influenced by Grace Lee Boggs. And so then um, her work has been super uh, influential on on me in the last year. Uh, And um, gosh, just my friend. And Octavia Butler, right? I mean, Adrienne. Uh, Oh, yes. I mean, she's very influenced by Octavia Butler, who wrote The Parable of the Sower. And yeah, Yeah. yeah, which... Have you read those? Uh, I've read her work, Kindred, but I haven't read uh, okay. the two parable books. I'm not a big fiction person. I wish I was. Yeah. I feel like I really miss out, but I'm just, I'm not. Yeah. Um, well, but I for, yeah, for our listeners, I mean, you might not know, but Octavia Butler, um, uh, Parable of the Sower and Parable of the Seed, right? I think that's right. Yeah. Or the talents, anyway. Uh, it's too, yes, but they're yeah. they're dis, they're dystopian. I'll I'll clear this up in in the notes. Um, but but um, they're dystopian, you know, sort of futuristic um, novels. But of course, when all of this started, 
uh, with COVID, I, I just immediately thought of those books. And um, I know that Adrian Marie Brown has done um, and has a podcast all about it, but how Octavia Butler was able to tell the future yeah. uh, because so much of it is eerily similar to what we are living in right now. And um, in a really prophetic sense. So anyway, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, in a, a recent uh, In Flesh newsletter, you write about uh, dangerous sentiments mm-hmm. and the truths we need. Um, mm-hmm. And you caution the temptation to run toward, I think, sort of quick fixes um, like we're all one, or you write um, as we erase our political differences and thus the choices of some to dictate the lives and well being of others. So I wonder if you just say more about how the sentiments of oneness and we're all in it together. And I think you even mentioned uh, like a white police officer getting like, I think it's a Pepsi ad or something like, you know, everything can be fixed if you drink this Pepsi. Um, How do these perpetuate harm and violence and how do we begin to shift these sentiments into, in your words, the truths we need? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I learned a word yesterday, uh, spiritual bypassing, which I find really helpful. I wasn't, I wasn't aware of that phrase, but I, but it's, this is such a good example of spiritual bypassing, right? Like drawing on these, these things that are true. Um, but when they're the starting place, they become tools of destruction right? Like I am so deeply invested in the idea that we, our lives are, are so entangled that our liberation is bound up in, in one another, right? Like that, that is a truth we need. But if it's the, if unity or uh, like in the commercial that was so popular of a white person handing a police officer a Pepsi and somehow that solving anti-black police brutality, like suggesting that something like kindness, which I believe deeply in, um, should be the starting place, I think is where we go, we get, we get ourselves in trouble, right? Especially we who are, are white. Um, because then the, the other truths that are absolutely necessary and urgent then become like things that have to be Fought just to be brought into that conversation. Um, but if we were starting from a claim like Black Lives Matter uh, and moving from that towards and all of our lives are entangled deeply, then you know, we might get a little closer to the direction we need to go. Or Black Lives Matter uh, and love is a part of uh, materializing uh, collectively, the fact that Black Lives Matter. But if we start with love, uh, it, that can too easily lead us someplace like All Lives Matter, right? Like it erases the, um, yeah, it just erases the ways that uh, we're not treated with love the same in the world. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I learned about spiritual bypassing when I experienced it in my mm. own life. And, um, sort of 
the way I've understood it is uh, completely sort of setting aside, you know, by one party, setting aside any feelings of discomfort, vulnerability, depth, yeah. uh, to get at, we're all one. It's okay. Not a big deal. I never meant that. So I think there's an element of gaslighting as well that can happen and all of that. But um, whereas to not spiritually bypass would be to get really comfortable with discomfort. Yeah. Right. With the things that, that make us feel just really uncomfortable. I'm reading um, Sonia Renee Taylor's uh, Mm. the body is not an apology right now. Mm -hmm. And she talks about making peace with uh, unknowing, I guess, or like, there's just, we're just not going to be able to understand everything and we can make, and we can make peace with that. Yes. Like that, that's a really important tool, a really important skill, really important practice for us. And so, um, so yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up. Um, Mm. And of course, yeah, folks can uh, read more about, uh, how you write about this, I'm sure, and as they sign up for your um, <laughs> for your moments of nourishment and your, yeah. your newsletter. But um, yeah. yeah, yeah, and I think um, the other piece that feels so important to me, and part of so enfleshed, like our whole. A central component of why we do the work that we do is um, sort of putting the flesh back on God, back on these Mm. concepts of love and unity and togetherness and all of these things that are used as abstractions. Oh, you know, they they take away our sexuality or gender presentation or the color of our skin or, you know, they try to erase all of that by making it differentiated from the actual bodies we're living in in the world right um and so to like ensure that everything is always fleshy (laughs) is is one way i think that we avoid um that bypassing right yeah right yeah i've seen a lot of critique of uh the phrase good vibes only Mm. right so so this idea that like we only bring good vibes here, like no negative energy. And so if you come with any kind of anger, fire, intensity at all, then right, you're, you're set to the side, you're spiritually bypassed, basically. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. using that quote unquote, spiritual sentiment to just completely pass over yeah. um, the real pain and of people's lives. So, yeah. 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 And violence. It's and yes, yeah. yeah. It's it's. I was about to say interesting, and that's a terrible word to use. But um, we use so many good words to do such terrible things. Right. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So liberation and freedom. Uh, are such a huge part of, I mean, all, all you have to do is kind of read your bio and uh, hang out on Enfleshed website for a little while and um, the themes of liberation, freedom come up. And so I'm curious, uh, I guess, what liberation theologies 
are the ones that you have learned the most from um, and, and maybe who, uh, again, kind of pointing to our ancestors, pointing to our teachers. Um, and then maybe what does liberation ultimately look like to you? Those are fun questions. Um, <laughs> I think, um, so there's so many different, uh, names to name, but one of the first that comes to mind is Valerie Savings, um, whose work I encountered for the first time as a first-year student in seminary, um, coming from, you know, real fundamentalist background. Um, she, I remember, yeah, I just remember it so clearly, um, but her approach to sin from a feminist theological perspective literally changed my life um, and helped me like open the door for all of these other sort of theological burdens to be lifted um, from my own being and becoming. Uh, but she, you know, she, she challenged the idea that like the way that patriarchy has shaped our understanding of sin to be something that um, uh, we heal from, well, we wouldn't even use healing traditionally. We wouldn't call you know, call, um, well, anyway, it's complicated, but uh, she challenged the idea that it's something that needs punishment um, mm -hmm. or that everybody uh, uh, experiences salvation, resurrection in the same way. Um, and uh, basically the patriarchal sort of approach to sin in the Christian tradition is so uh, assuming that we're all prideful, right? Like that's like the core root problem is pride. And so humility then is the answer, right? That's how we get to what she calls our child of Godness. Like that's the ideal state is, uh, um, but she's, like, no, so many people, um, especially people socialized as women, but not only, uh, have need the opposite, right? Mm -hmm. Self-negation is more the core. And so what's needed to live into a child of godness is a kind of rising up in the sense of mm -hmm. self, right? A kind of liberation from the inside out. Um, mm -hmm. And that changed everything for me because I had so been saturated in this, make myself tiny, 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 beat myself up. Somehow that's like supposed to be a good, holy thing, you know, and it was like a way out of that. Uh, that aligned with my experience. Um, and I don't feel like I did it justice in <laughs> explaining it at all. Um, but that, yeah, that um, once I, my own shift, uh, in, uh, once I was gifted with uh, the way that other people have challenged um, narrow and singular approaches to understanding God and each other, and what it means to come alive in the world. Um, I, th then there was no limit on what else could be rethought, could be, could feel so freeing like that did, you know, and could, could so shift how I interact with other people, interact with myself, what I, how I interact with the world. Yeah. 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 So, like so would it be, um, no, 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 no. So would it be that liberation is a, is a kind, it looks like a rising up 
in many ways? Mm. Um, I think for me, when, I, when it comes to liberation, like part of what I think liberation theologies bring is um, a challenge of this idea that there's a universal anything. Like, right. I don't know that I think there's a single thing that's universal, right? Because yeah. we're all enfleshed in different bodies and different experiences. And so for me, like, I don't think liberation can look like just one thing for everybody. Um, but I think that it is a kind of, um, I think the, the closest I can get is a kind of collective flourishing, right? Um, uh, a, a healing, um, uh, but, I, but everything about how we get there, it looks so different for each person. Um, yeah. 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 Well, of course, I think we could talk for a lot, lot longer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what I'm sensing, but um, mindful of our time and um, just grateful that you gave us some of yours mm-hmm. today. And I would love it if you might have a story or mm-hmm. a poem, a blessing, something uh, to mm-hmm. offer us as we close our conversation today. Yeah. So um, I have a poem from one of my very favorite queer poets, uh, Mary Oliver, blessed be her memory. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And uh, in these days where there is so much grief um, and so much that is hard, um, I find myself returning to this as an additional truth in the midst. So... It's a short poem. If you suddenly and unexpectedly feel joy, don't hesitate, give in to it. There are plenty of lives and whole towns destroyed or about to be. We are not wise and not very often kind and much can never be redeemed. Still, life has some possibility left. Perhaps this is its way of fighting back that sometimes something happens better than all the riches or power in the world. It could be anything, but very likely you notice it in the instant when love begins. Anyway, that's often the case. Anyway, whatever it is, don't be afraid of its plenty. Joy is not meant, joy is not made to be a crumb. Thanks for listening along with us today. For more information on how you can begin and continue the work of anti-racism, visit the Academy resources page at academy.upperroom.org backslash resources. And if you have questions about the work of anti-racism or about this particular podcast episode, please email us at academy at upperroom.org. The work of love and justice begs of us to stand our sacred ground, to open ourselves to change, and to deeply trust in the God who marches, dances, listens, learns, and sings along with us. Thanks for being a part of this life-changing work. We're grateful you're here, and we hope you'll stay with us for the long haul. Share this podcast with others. 
May it be a prayer, a guide, an inspiration, a beacon of hope, a means for justice in your lives and in the lives of all. To hear more from faculty and wisdom guides in the area of spiritual formation, and to learn more about Academy offerings, visit us online at academy.upperroom.org.